when you go knocking on doors or you talk to your family, you talk to your neighbors, you talk to your co-workers about the Lord, they just might ask questions. And when they ask questions, are we able to answer them? Here's what I've noticed from, from about nearly 20 years of preaching, and that is, you can preach a sermon and everyone goes, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. And then when you go out and hear exactly what you're talking about, talk to someone else, you're like, oh, what was that? Again, I, I know exactly what I believe. But I don't remember exactly how to say what I believe. And so it's one of those things that when questions are asked, are we able to truly be able to give them the Word of God? And so, you know, we know what convictions we have. We know what we believe. And so if someone says, well, you know, what church do you belong to? And we'll say, well, Church of Christ or Franklin Church of Christ, something along those lines. And they press on maybe the name of the church. Or they press on some other area of, quote-unquote, doctrine. How do we answer that? In other words, when we are asked certain things about our convictions, we might tell them what we believe. But when they follow up with those questions of what we believe, like why or how, sometimes we don't know how to respond. We know that we believe certain things, but to be able to share that with someone else might be difficult. And so it comes to a very simple lesson like this. How are people added to the Lord's church? That's a real simple question. And we think, well, I've heard that lesson before and I know what, what the answer is, but I don't know how to put it into words. And I'm going to share with you right now, brethren, when you are able to put it into words, now you have conviction. When you're able to verbalize what you believe, you can have convictions about them. But if it's one of those, well, here's what I believe, but I don't know how to put it into words, then we need to continue to have God's Word richly dwelling within us to that point where we can share the good news with people in this in a society, because we're going to be asked questions when we go forth. And that's part of the reason why we don't go forward with God's Word. There are a number of reasons, but that would be one of them. And so this morning, we're looking at the real simple, very fundamental question. How are people added to the Lord's church? And I want you to be able to practically just take these things down and say, okay, now when I leave here, I want to be able to leave knowing enough so that I can take what I've learned and actually use it. And not just say, well, I already know these things. All these scriptures that Mitch is going to go through, I already know what, where he's going to go, what he's going to say. But if you're at the point where you're not able to duplicate that and take it out, the simple message of God's Word, then we're missing the picture. We're missing the whole reason of, of what that great commission that Matt was just reading in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20 was about. And so we're going to answer that question fundamentally. Practically, if you will. And so, when we go back to the Scriptures, notice these passages. I want you to look at Matthew 28 again. Notice what's being said by Matthew. Then we'll look at Mark. And then we'll look at Luke. And very, if I can use the term in a fleshly way, coincidentally, or biblically, providentially, everything that we're looking at this morning took place in a Bible study just yesterday. And so how appropriate the timing of what, what took place. But I want you to look again at what's being said here in Matthew. And notice how the writers are writing and what they're saying regarding this. Now, mind you, 
each person, whether it's Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, they have a very specific reason as to why they're writing their books, if you will, their gospel accounts, their messages, and who their audience is and what they're trying to get across. And so when you look at what Matthew's trying to say, naturally Matthew decides to record about Jesus just before he ascended into heaven, after he had been, been killed or crucified, and he rose from the dead. Notice what is being said. It says here in Matthew chapter 28, actually I'm going to back up a couple of um, verses. It says here, verse 16, The eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them, and when he saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now Jesus, with all his authority, tells to, to his disciples, including those who doubted, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. In heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the very end. Those are his closing words. He finishes his gospel account, Matthew does, by saying, Amen. He agrees to everything that has been said. What Matthew is saying is, when he remembered just before Jesus rose into heaven, ascended into heaven, he said, I want all of you, my disciples, my followers, even among those, his disciples who doubted, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go everywhere and you preach the good news. You preach that I am the Christ. In other words, you go and you make disciples. And that's what they did. And he told them how. Well, when we go and preach the gospel, would our message be any different today? Obviously, the answer is no. Except that when you read through these gospel accounts, Mark has just a little different take. Same exact message, but from a different vantage point. Look at what he says. In Mark chapter 16, at the very end, just before Jesus again ascends to heaven, here's what Mark records. Beginning in verse 14, it says, Later he, that is Jesus, appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Very similar to Matthew. Because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. So whether it was Mary or Mary or Mary or some of the other women that were with Mary that saw Jesus and reported it to the disciples and they didn't believe, he rebuked them for it. But having spoken to them now, he says to them in verse 15, go into, the, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So you're going to do exactly what I'm saying. You go into all the world, let them know that I am the risen Christ. And he who believes, that is, he who believes that Jesus is the Christ, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. And he who does not believe will be condemned. So Mark says essentially the same thing that Matthew does. Preach the gospel, preach the good news. Baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Ghost in some of your translations. And those that believe this message and are baptized will be saved. Very clear. Very simple message. Those that do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, they're going to be condemned. 
Well, look at what Luke says. Luke had the same opportunity, although he is not there present with Jesus, when he says this, his record is just as good. It's just as accurate. But notice what Luke focuses on. Luke chapter 24, and it says in verse 44, speaking to the disciples, he says in verse 44, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. All that Old Testament scripture that we look back upon now, all those things pointed toward Jesus Christ. And, and Jesus is reminding his disciples, all these things have been revealed to you. These are the things that according to... Um, uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, and as given in other places in the New Testament Scriptures, they were hidden in passages, like 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. And that was God's will. He planned it beforehand that it would be kept hidden until this time. Well, now it's revealed. And he says to them, all these Scriptures were fulfilled according to the Word of God. He opened their understanding, verse 45 that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Those very things that were a mystery, that were not revealed earlier, have now become revealed. And so he said to them in verse 46, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, just according to Scripture, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So just like Matthew, just like Mark, Luke in his account says, here is what I want you to do. I want you to preach the gospel. And what you're preaching is a message. This message is one of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Very simple. They all three, from their different vantage points, talking about the same situation. And he says, Behold, verse 49, I'll send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry here in Jerusalem until then. So, here are the disciples of Jesus. They have been, quote-unquote, commissioned, if you will, to preach the gospel. So the obvious question that we would ask ourselves was, did the disciples of Jesus do exactly what we can read in Matthew 28, verse 18 following, Mark chapter 16, verse 14 following, and Luke chapter 24, verse 44 following? Did they do exactly that, or did they deviate from the teaching that Jesus gave just before he went into heaven? Well, let's find out. Go to Acts 2, and we see here on the very first opportunity to preach the gospel. We pick up here in verse 36, and we read of what Peter had done when after completing this message that Jesus is the Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, he rose on the third day, and he ascended to heaven. Of whom the prophets had spoken of, this is this Jesus. Well, the reaction was, as given here in verse 36 following was, um, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, as Peter is saying this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So what do you suppose the reaction is after he's given this quote-unquote sermon? Well, it says here in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Their conscience, if you will, was pricked. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, those who asked this question, 
Repent. Sounds like what Luke, Luke recorded. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Sounds just like what Matthew and Mark recorded of what Jesus said. Going through all the world, preach the gospel. Baptize them. And those who believe, those who hear this message of repentance, which is for the forgiveness of sins, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. That's exactly what Peter's preaching now. In response to what shall we do? How do we fix the situation since we're guilty of sin? And that is this. Going to all the world. And starting in Jerusalem, they did that. On that day, 3,000 souls gladly received this word. Out of possibly hundreds of thousands. 3,000. What was not preached was all kinds of unrelated things. Important but unrelated things regarding Jesus, regarding His church, regarding responsibilities and what have you. That was not the gospel message to bring people into the kingdom. It was exactly what Jesus said in the gospel accounts and revealed here in Acts. You can go on and read Acts 4, Acts 8, cut it on Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 11, Acts 15, Acts 16, Acts 17. All these passages we go one by one by one to every one of these. And you're going to find the same message. Same thing. Those who gladly heard the word and believed it were baptized into Christ. Many of them confessed all the sins that they were guilty of. They believed and confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. That's exactly what Jesus said, right? In Mark 16, verse 15, verse 16, right here, it's being employed by the disciples. And so, when we look at these things, when disciples preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and believers respond accordingly, guess what the Lord does? He adds to His church. Everywhere in this world right now, when someone believes upon the name that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and they're willing to turn away from the current way of living to a way that Jesus is now not just Savior over their lives, but Lord of their lives. They're willing to give their lives to the Lord. And these same people follow the teaching of Jesus, and that is they're baptized in Christ to have those sins taken away. There's the message of repentance and forgiveness of sins found in that. It's a clear conscience that says, I'm going to do what Jesus Christ says. I don't care what... All these churches that proclaim Christianity teach, I want what Jesus said. Very simple. Then the Lord adds them to the church. I say emphatically the Lord adds them to the church because there's a whole lot of extra teachings that men get into regarding this membership. Things that we can take Scripture and use it and twist to our liking to make things fit. But I'll tell you right now, when someone obeys the gospel, the Lord has added them to the church. doesn't matter if I say, well, you know, I doubt the way David, you know, I don't know if David really was fully understanding what he had done to become a Christian. So David, I don't know if you're a Christian. Listen, if David did exactly what Scripture says, he's a Christian because the Lord added him to his church. There's sometimes brothers and sisters in Christ 
that we become judges along those lines. But this is a pure, simple message. Very easy to understand. Hopefully easy enough that today you can actually teach this message. If you know nothing else about God's Word, but the pure and simple message that Jesus is the Christ, and people need to turn away from their way of living to Jesus, and confess that He is such Christ, and that they're willing to be baptized to have those sins taken away, brethren, what else is there to teach as far as the message, the pure and simple message? There's more to be said on that, but we'll say that in just a minute. Here's the problem, though. Many Christians are taught this very simple lesson that took, what, ten minutes to give? There's a difference between being taught something and learning something, right? Why is it in school you can spend five, six, seven, I don't know how many hours in, in the schools, from eight o'clock in the morning to two or three o'clock in the afternoon, and then mom or dad says to child, so what did you learn today? Child responds, There's a difference between being taught something, I mean, having something being taught versus learning something. And sometimes the preaching in the pulpit, whether in Bible studies or what have you, it's taught. And women receive it, they hear it, and they might even remember word for word what's being said, but it's not internalized, it's not digested, and it's not able to be applied effectively as a result. And so, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, here's a pattern. I want you to look at this pattern and see if this is not the principle of what should take place when we go from pulpit to pew to life, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says this. Back up to verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There is a principle that is necessarily implied. And that is, whatever Paul had told Timothy, Timothy was supposed to understand. And understand in such a manner so that he could likewise, following that blueprint, if you will, go and teach other faithful men who following that very same pattern, that very same blueprint, that they would go out and they would teach it to others. And so on and so forth through the generations. And that brings us to our generation today. Do we take what we've learned so that we can actually step out of this building and step into real daily living and give people the pure and simple message? I told you, right, brethren, when, when, when we were visiting here back in April or May, I shared with you the fact that the morning before I became a Christian, I could not tell you the difference between Jesus and Moses or Adam. I couldn't tell you that Jesus was the Savior of the world. Before that morning started, I couldn't tell you that. I didn't even know that that was the case. 24 hours later, after having become a Christian, when I was going door-to-door, knocking on doors, trying to sell Volume 1 and Volume 2 of the Southwestern book, <laughs> Company's books, I was talking to people about Jesus Christ. You know what I could tell them? Exactly what I did to become a Christian. I couldn't tell them uh, one iota more than that. 
I didn't know anything. I knew Jesus was the Christ. I knew He died for my sins. I couldn't tell you the significance of His blood other than His blood was shed for me. couldn't give you all those reasons. But what I could tell you was you needed to repent of your sins. You needed to believe and confess that Jesus was the Christ and you needed to be baptized in the Christ to have the forgiveness of your sins. I could say that much to you. And guess what I did? I told everyone the same thing, the same message. Brethren, that's someone who is 24 hours in the Lord doing this. There's no doubt in my mind, brethren who have been in the Lord for 10, 20, 30 years should easily be able to share the good news. But here's another problem. Sometimes, brethren, we put the cart before the horse. And we teach everyone everything in this world that they need to know before teaching the pure and simple gospel. And I have been in Bible studies. I've been in a number of Bible studies, and I've heard of Bible studies. Ten months, eleven months, twelve months, two years. What did you talk about? This is going to hurt. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. We talked about institutionalism. We talked about the head covering. We talked about everything under the sun but the pure and simple gospel. And here's the reason why, Mitch. Because, Mitch, these people need to know that they've got to count that cost before making that commitment. If that was the case, then brethren sure know how to preach a whole lot of packing in Acts chapter 2. Because in Acts chapter 2, I didn't see a single thing about counting the cost. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, not one thing about counting the cost. Acts chapter 8, when you read of, of Philip going out and preaching, and then Simon the sorcerer, and then Philip was the eunuch, not a thing about counting the cost. Chapter 9 with the Apostle Paul, nothing. 10, with Cornelius and his household, nothing. Lydia and her house in Acts chapter 16, nothing. Philippian jailer, Acts chapter 17, nothing about counting the cost explicitly in the Scriptures. Not one time. Do they need to count the cost? You better believe it. It's a decision that you're making to follow after Jesus. But when Jesus was talking about putting Him first and following after Him, it was not to be built into some Bible program, discipleship program, that would take place before someone necessarily has to become a Christian. It's a pure and simple message. And sometimes, brethren, we fail to see that because our human wisdom says, this is the reason why we need to do it, when in fact the Bible explicitly says, here's what you do, and here's how you do it. Very simple. Do you know that when that eunuch, who was coming back from Jerusalem, going back to Egypt, when he obeyed the gospel, he was going to no one else. What do you suppose he was going to teach? Everything. See, here is water. What's hindering you from being baptized? It's probably what he's going to say instead of what's hindering me. He's going to say exactly what he had been taught by Philip, who preached Jesus from that very scripture in Isaiah to the point where the eunuch understood exactly what he needed to do. You know, yesterday was a great example. The timing is perfect. I couldn't have timed this any better with the sermon. That's exactly 
what took place yesterday. Someone heard the pure and simple gospel and responded to it. We didn't have to wait two, three, four months, two, three, four years. Didn't have to do any of those things. Teaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what Paul determined to know. It's part of the reason why I believe the church isn't growing. We're not evangelistic, first of all. I don't have the thing here on the, on my sermon notes. I had it listed over here, but in the, the Christian Chronicle, I guess there, there's a magazine about Churches of Christ that in 2000, February 2007 had given the population in the U.S. Of course, it's from as ultra-liberal to as ultra-conservative that you can get, just that name, Churches of Christ. And between about 1975 to 2005 or so, in the last 30 years, the country went from about 240, 250 million to 300 million. Pretty good increase, population-wise. At that same time, in those 30 years, it says, you know, in the Churches of Christ, the, the growth, as far as numbers, went up 1.6%. What that means is, it's probably just our children, overall. There might be a trace of those in this world that hear the gospel from brothers and sisters in Christ teaching this true and simple message. I'm saying this not as discouragement, brethren, but of the reality of what's taking place. And I think Phil had just given me this directory, Churches of Christ directory, and I was looking at, in fact, the last couple of years of the population, it's actually decreased in numbers. So, I don't know which one is true. I don't know how to verify, you know, go knocking on every church door and find out what the numbers are from those in, within the congregation. But I can tell you just personal observation. Look at many congregations and their doors are closing right now. And a lot of it is because they have not preached the gospel into all the world. I've actually heard brethren saying, well, they know where we are. Our doors are open. Unfortunate to hear such a thing. We need to go forth. Give them the good news. It's good news. It's, it's not bad news we're giving them. We're not giving them something that, oh man, I wonder if I'm going to reject it. People are going to reject the truth, period. They're going to reject it. And we should count ourselves worthy to be rejected. Right? That's not a twisted mindset for this world. I don't know what is. But as far as the Lord is concerned, that's par for the course. We should be counting it all joy to teach the truth, because after so many rejections, you know what you get? You get someone searching for the truth, and they come into contact with a servant of the Lord, seeking and saving the lost. So, that's what we can do. So, I want to ask you, can you take this very simple message, the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, the end of Luke, go into the book of Acts, look at all those accounts, and actually share that with someone? There's your outline. You don't need evangelism 101. All you need is a heart that's compassionate and a heart that's willing. You combine that with these scriptures and teach them. Now, are there other areas that people are going to ask questions about? Absolutely. And we may not be able to answer all those questions. But if nothing else, we should be able to answer this one. How is someone added to the, the body of Christ? How are they added to the Lord's church? 
Now, in the coming weeks, we'll look at other fundamental truths like this for the purpose of evangelism and for the purpose of unity within the body. I'm hoping that it will help you to be able to give a thus saith the Lord, that you can answer the hope that lies within you. But you've got to have that conviction first. And I pray that you do have that conviction. If you don't, then you can have that this morning. You can have that conviction and give yourself to the Lord.